You are listening to Haftarah, the Shir series where we explore the connections between the Parsha Shavuot and its corresponding Haftarah. And here at the database of Rabbi Yeshua Eisenberg, this week's Parsha is Parsha Shemini, and the Haftarah comes to us this week from Sefer Shmuel Beis, making it the second time this week that we are opening up Sefer Shmuel Beis as a Haftarah, as we return to our regular program of Haftarah for Parsha Shavuot. At the moment of this recording, it is Isr Chag, it is Mose, it's Motzei Pesach, Motzei Chag Amatzos, and it is already Erev Shabbos, but earlier this week on the Shvi'i Shal Pesach, we opened up Sefer Shmuel Beis to see a special Haftarah, Shiraz David HaMelech. We spoke about that at length a couple of Shiraz ago. Of course, in Gullus, we had the Acher and Shal Pesach, which had its own special Haftarah. But now we look at Sefer Shmuel Beis much earlier in the Sefer, and we begin with Perek Vav, Pasuk Aleph, that's 6-1. And as we're going to see shortly, there is a difference, a discrepancy between the Ashkenazic Haftarah for Shemini and the Sephardic Haftarah for Shemini. The basic difference is that the Ashkenazic Haftarah provides an additional story. Um, there's, there's more, more psukim, and there's a little bit more to the story that the Haftarah gives us. And that'll perhaps add a new dimension to what we're already going to say. So when we get to that new dimension, we'll point it out as we get there. And um, we'll see what the Ashkenazic Haftarah adds. Uh, but the Haftarah for the Ashkenazic custom and Mesorah starts with Parag Vav Pasuk Aleph and it goes to Parag Zion Pasuk Yud Zion, that's 717. So in all, it is 6-1 going to 717. And we will discuss this Haftarah as soon as I dedicate this shir. So now, let's take a look at this uh, Haftarah in light, of course, of our Sidra. Right, think about Parsha Shemini. The climax of Parsha Shemini is undoubtedly going to have to be the deaths of the two older sons of Aaron Cohen, they are Nazav and Avihu, which resulted from their controversial avoda in the Mishkan. And with that being the case, you might say that the similar story that our Haftarah begins with, which describes the death of Uzzah, certainly would make for an appropriate Haftarah. What exactly was the circumstance sur- um, surrounding the death of Uzzah? We'll get to that shortly. But the stories and their implications, we can argue, parallel each other brilliantly. Because on a simple level, at least, the deaths in both stories are difficult to understand, as the casualties in both Parsha Shemini and in Shmuel Beis were both were righteous individuals who acted out of pure passion for Hashem. Right? Nadav and Avihu tried to offer a carbon, and what is a carbon if not the attempt to become close with Hashem? As we've said several times, Avrash explains that the, par- the purpose of a carbon is as the Shosh suggests, karab, to become close. So they have this spiritual compulsion to create that closeness, that, that, that cleaving, that dveikas to Hashem, to serve Him in the most intimate way possible. And then, of course, in that endeavor, they died. Now, in Shmuel Beis, what exactly happened? The Aron was finally being brought back. It was being um, carried out and paraded, and um, they placed the iron in the wagon. And when Uzzah um, thought that the iron was going to slip and fall out of the wagon, so he too, like Nadav and Avihu, was emotionally stirred, passionate to grab onto the iron. And of course, he found out the hard way that somehow that was inappropriate to do. And the question that's really asked in both stories is how it could be that someone could fall to and bear, and bear such blame when his actions were clearly motivated by pure Ahavas Hashem. 
And Uzo's tragic death is even harder to digest than those of Nadav and Avihu. As you could argue with Nadav and Avihu, you know, they were trying to offer a carbon, but they didn't quite follow all of the rules. But Uzo was trying to protect the Aron from falling. Right? Can you imagine? We see this all the time when, when someone is doing Hagba and maybe they are not necessarily strong enough to get the heavy side of the, of the Sefer Torah up in the air. Maybe uh, there's a fear that the Torah is going to slip from his hands or, the, or it's going to tear um, on, on the parchment. Or maybe one time the, Aron, the, 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 the Sefer Torah almost slips out of the Aron. In all of these scenarios, people will rush to help make sure that the Torah doesn't fall to the ground. And would we suggest that in any of these scenarios that it's inappropriate, and how much more so than in the case of the Arna Kodesh, the Arna of Hashem, which has the Luchos, and Uzzah sees it and merely just wants to do the right thing. And so then the question I have to ask is, where in such an action could there even be the slightest impure thought? However, the parallels between our stories can shed an important light, perhaps, on the exact misstep of Uzzah, and further teach us an important lesson about Avos Hashem in general, as it is expressed in our Parsha Shavua. Right? As hard as it is to see the equivalence of Nadav and Avihu's deaths and Uzzah's deaths, right? Uzzah's death, right? even though we, we mentioned a parallel, but the equivalence is hard to, to, to really uh, pin down. But I believe the fact that our Masorah has chosen the story of Uzzah, or at least uh, story A of the Haftarah, um, so the fact that that has been chosen as our Haftarah is, is to suggest that in essence, the issue of Nadav and Avihu and that of Uzzah are apparently one and the same. Yes, all of them acted in response to their sensitivity and their passion and their respective relationships with Hashem. It was all for Avas Hashem. It was for the love of God. But Nadav and Avihu, and similarly Uzzah, apparently got too close to the fire, and were burnt. But there was apparently a, a certain boundary that was crossed. In the case of Nazar and Avihu, as tragic and perplexing as it undoubtedly was, on a certain level, we could easily understand the result. This much we already spoke about slightly. They performed an unauthorized service, a bold service which they thought their relationship with God needed, but which Hashem himself never sanctioned. Right, this is a classical issue that comes up with people, certainly people who are nowhere near as righteous as Nadav and Avihu. People who think, listen, it's my relationship with Hashem, I should be able to dictate, and then how I should be able to fulfill that relationship with Hashem. It's, 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 it's between me and God, and I'll figure it out myself. We know this isn't true. We know that Hashem gives us, He delineates for us how we are to serve Him. But there are people much less greater than Nadav and Avihu you know, who, who have made that, that mistake. So, on their level, on their exalted level, they made such a mistake. And, yes, we could argue that their hearts were completely in the right place. And the one thing they did wrong was just in their mode, how, how they chose to do it, the forum, the avenue. Their hearts were in the right place, and maybe, just maybe, if there was an ounce of their hearts not being in the right place, it was that little piece that was that was uh, that was translated, that was reflected in their choice to do things not in the way Hashem decreed. 
right? That, that maybe there was a chisaron, maybe a tiny chisaron in their in their hearts in their thinking. And of course, the, the, then when it came out in action, then that was the fulfillment of that small trace of maybe their hearts not being in the right place, even if we could argue that 98, 99% of their hearts were in the right place. Now, what about Uzzah? So we'd have to assume that in the same vein, Uzzah's heart was absolutely in the right place. But love for God, love for Hashem, and all that is holy must also apparently be channeled by profound awe and reverence for Hashem's Kedusha, his intrinsic sanctity. Right? Ava has to be channeled by Yira. It can't just be love of Hashem alone. There has to be this awe, this I can't get near. As difficult as it is to accept, apparently even Uzzah's grasping of the Aram, which was done completely in the name of what he thought was divine interest, that apparently was also a breach of the boundary. Which is why, by the way, if you continue on in the Navi, the Haftari, and in Pasuk Ches, and Perak Vav, right, so 6-8, the land was given the nickname Peretz Uzzah, which literally means the breach of Uzzah, right, which can mean one of two things, right? It can mean either that Uzzah breached the boundary or that Hashem, in essence, breached Uzzah and destroyed him. But the Lushan of Peretz, of there being a breach, is to suggest that Uzzah crossed the line. Perhaps Uzzah on some level, thought that Hashem needed, quote-unquote, his heroism, despite the fact that Chazal tells us in the Gemara and Sota, on Lamed Hey, Amid Aleph, which we're going to get to in the Daf in a few weeks, um, but the, the, the Chazal tells us that the Aron miraculously was able to carry itself. In fact, it would carry its own bearers. The point is that despite the fact that Uzzah's heart was in a high and proper place, where perhaps no one else's was, the level of requisite hesitancy before the Divine Presence that everyone else seemed to have at the time was what apparently Uzzah had lacked. Meaning, we're not going to suggest that it's completely immoral and incorrect to want to save the Arna Kodesh, but it's the Arna Kodesh. Right? The, the, just, you know, maybe grabbing onto a Sefer Torah. Maybe Sefer Torah has a certain level of Kedusha, but which is why, by the way, we don't touch the parchment of the Sefer Torah. We, we only touch the handles, the Atzei Chaim. But when you're talking about Kalim of the Mikdash, maybe there is this sense of, I don't belong touching this at all. And Uzzah thinking, even that little part of his heart and mind that thought, oh, I need to be step up and be the hero here, when, of course, the Aron was on a higher level of miraculous existence, so it was, it was inappropriate for Uzzah to take such a brazen step forward, even if he had the right thing in mind. Right? Sometimes something has to be said and done, but you're not the right person to do it. Right? Like the, 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 there is such a thing as that. There is such a thing as knowing your boundaries. Right? Uh, if, if, if a, a rub makes a mistake about something, so there's a way to correct that rub. Right? Certainly you don't do it by, by shouting him down. Right, and it, it, is it possible that someone great can make a mistake? Yeah, and you have to know the right way to, you have to have it with reverence to be able to respond to it. And if the arm was about to fall, if you think that your, your Rebbe, your Rav, or, or, or one of your parents maybe is about to fall and do the wrong thing in Ruchnius, so there's a way to correct. There's, there's an appropriate way with reverence. And, and Uzzah apparently versus the Aron did not have the requisite um, reverence. Interestingly, my, my older brother of Daniel Eisenberg, 
points out that when the Arna Kodesh was being escorted to Yerushalayim, it was taken out from the house of Uzzah's father, a man by the name of Avinadav. Right, not, not Aminadav, like Nachshon ben Aminadav, but Avinadav. Now, what's very interesting about the name Avinadav, says my brother, it's contraction of their Kohanic predecessors, Nadav and Avihu. Avinadav. Right, at the end, obviously, you have Nadav. At the beginning, we have the Avi, like Avihu. Nadav and Avihu are hiding in the name Avinadav. Perhaps an allusion to this point that Uzo's perplexing death is really a continuation of the tragedy of Nadav and Avihu. Right, interestingly, my, uh, my brother also points out that the names Nadav and Avihu themselves, Nadav means to give a present. Avihu means he is my father. Right? These are both expressions of Ahava, loving Hashem. I want to give Hashem a present because he is my father. Nadav, present. Avihu, he's my father. I want to give my father something special. Yes, but there is Avinu, but there's also Malkinu. Right? It's, it's great that you want to give him a present, but are you going to follow the rules? Are you going to give him... Are you, are you going to give him what you're supposed to give him, or are you going to overstep the boundary? The relationship between these stories and their lessons for us can be understood. So the question, though, is why the Haftarah does not just stop there, according to the Ashkenazi tradition. Because for some reason, the Haftarah continues to elaborate on David HaMelech's procession for the Aron a few months later. Right? This is the piece that's not included in the Svarti Haftarah, but talks about, again, David HaMelech's um, subsequent request to build the Beis HaMikdash for Hashem. So apparently the story is not finished. But why not? So as we've explained in the past, while the Haftar will often reinforce a theme of the Parsha, it will often also, or sometimes alternatively, in this case it's also, but it'll complement or fine-tune the Sidra with a message which at first glance seems almost contrary to the theme of the Sidra. You might recall that last Haftarah that we did for Parsha Shavu, for Parsha Tzav, which we said was about the procedure for the Karbanos, the Haftarah from Yirmiya, on some level, challenged the entire notion of Karbanos. Right, even though the Haftarah that we um, read this year was from, uh, for Shabbos HaGadol, from Malachi, but that Haftarah that we saw from Yirmiya was talking about how you think Hashem wants your Karbanola, you can, you can stuff that Karbanola down your throat for all Hashem cares. Right, so... You have a parsha that's all about karbanos and a haftar that's all about how Hashem doesn't care for your karbanos. So we spoke about the the conflict and the balance and what the haftarah is really trying to do to the parsha. Then, right, the point is not to undercut the sidrus theme of karbanos, but it was to put the sidrus theme into perspective and to give us a more sophisticated understanding of what we're trying to accomplish with karbanos. And I believe that our haftarah this week uniquely serves both purposes. On the one hand, the story of Uzzah and Shmuel Bez reinforces our understanding of the problem with what, quote-unquote, too much passion and love for Hashem can do. It reminds us that there are boundaries in Avodah Hashem. However, we then reach the story of David HaMelech and his wife, Michal. Michal was the daughter of Shaul HaMelech. And when the procession for the Aron continues, as we've explained, the Navi elaborates on the extent of David HaMelech's celebration, how he danced and danced with all his might, to his wife Michal's utter disapproval. Now, what was the problem? So Michal argued that he was exposing himself, as it were, 
that he was not carrying himself with the honor befitting to the royalty that he was. And if we all know, or I should say if all we know, is the story of Nadav and Avihu and that of Uzzah, we might have suggested that knowing nothing else, Michal was correct. Perhaps David HaMelech was crossing a line with his passionate dancing. Maybe this is inappropriate. Maybe there's a right and wrong way to dance inside a base Magisha, base Knesses. There's a right and wrong way to celebrate on Simchas Torah, maybe, or on Purim. Right? You, you can cross the line. You can do something that's inappropriate. However, the Navi indicates that Michal, in this particular circumstance, was not correct. As not only was David HaMelech awarded the final word in the story, but as Hashem withholds seed from Michal until the day of her death, it's machlokas if Michal ever had a child. Either she had a child or she only had a child on the day of her death. But the point is that Hashem punishes Michal. So the question is, why was Michal incorrect in her thinking? What boundary did she cross? And as David HaMelech retorts, he says that his dancing was purely for Hashem, and that if his personal passion for Hashem means being demeaned personally, then so be it. In other words, David HaMelech is saying, I don't, you know, it's okay if I go a little bit overboard with the dancing, if I'm doing it for Hashem. Now, at first glance, that sounds like the opposite message to that of the death of Nadav and Nebiyah and Uzzah. They all acted out of pure love for Hashem and were killed for it. However, if we understand the key difference between all of those individuals and David HaMelech, we'll have a much richer understanding of the best pathway to Avodos Hashem. Because when it came to Nadav, Avihu, and Uzzah, their Ava was not the intrinsic problem. It was their lack of Yira. Their Ava was 100% on target. But as we've explained, without Yira, that's when the boundaries are crossed and breaches are made. Indeed, it was not Ahava that killed Nadav and Avihu. It was lacking healthy Yira to keep them in line with Avodah Hashem. They had great Ahava, but a little more Yira, and they would not have done an Avodah that was inappropriate. They would have done an Avodah that was appropriate. They would have done everything right if they had enough Yira. And the same thing for Uzzah, perhaps. Maybe if Uzzah had a little bit more Yira, he would have made a different decision. Or maybe he would have made a similar decision, but done it a little bit differently. Maybe it would have been appropriate. We, 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 we can't volunteer a service with the thinking that Hashem needs something from the relationship with us if that service is going to run contrary to His will, to the Yira that we're supposed to have. That is like the Haftar of Embarshat Tzav where Yermia says you can eat your carbonola. Right? You know, like Hashem doesn't need a carbon that's being brought in a way that He did not authorize. And that's why at the end of the Haftarah, the Navi tells us that Hashem was sure to remind David HaMelech that he does not need a house. Take a look at Parag Zion, Pasuk, Dalit through, through uh, Tess. Hashem says, you know, I don't need a house. Because Hashem doesn't need anything. He doesn't need our karbanos. So therefore, one cannot overstep the boundary of Yira. Because you're not giving Hashem something he needs. If he doesn't need it, you better make sure that if you're giving it to him, you're giving it to him in the way that he's saying you ought to give it to him. And that we can understand from the tragic mistakes of Nadav Avio and of Uzzah. 
But so long as your actions are in line with that yira, i.e. they are not contrary to the Ratzon Hashem, to Hashem's will, as is reflected by the Torah and our Mesorah, so long as they are channeled by the sensitivity to Hashem's unfathomable loftiness, then one should maximize that ahava as much as possible. One should have as much ahava as Nodav and Aviyu and Avuza. Because so long as one's ava is not flying in the face of the yura of Hashem's will, then it's no one's place to demand anyone to limit his or her expressions of ahavas Hashem. Far be it from anyone to say that if you're following halacha and doing everything right, that there's something wrong with your avodas Hashem. And David's expressions of love for Hashem had simply crossed no lines. And although we have room to condemn Nadav and Avio for practical misstep that they took, in terms of the Ava itself, we have everything to learn from them in that area as well. That is what Michal got wrong. And when she spoke out against David HaMelech, that was considered inappropriate. Perhaps treasonous. And that, I believe, is the lesson we can take from the dancing of David HaMelech. And this is what the Ashkenazic Haftarah provides uniquely that we don't find in the Sephardic Torah. You might have assumed that this would have been in the Sephardic Torah, right? the, the dancing of David HaMelech. Balance is a difficult thing to achieve in any area of life, and all the more so in Avodah Hashem. But we have to try our best. And we could strike that balance if we understand that Ava and Yira are not mutually exclusive, and that's the key. Both are necessary. We have to be inspired by the passion of Nadav and Avihu and of Uzzah, but we got to respect the boundaries, like David HaMelech. And if we're doing that, we cannot be demeaned for our dancing for the love of God. We shall be zochah to serve a healthy balance of Ava and Yira to ourselves in our approach to Avodos Hashem, to be able to approach Him with the fullest extent of both fiery passion, yet an appropriate hesitance and awe at the boundary marker, like we shuckle going forward and backward, close to Hashem and backing away. And Hashem should accept our service favorably. And Hashem should show us that same outpouring of love in the days of Mashiach, the Meir Bimenu. And of course, if you enjoyed this year, and others liked it on the podcast, you want to partner up with us with the sponsorship, or if you have questions, comments, concerns, or recommendations, or you want to join the database podcast WhatsApp group where you find links to every uploaded Shear and links to Shearim that I repost due to their relevance, then all you have to do is reach out to me at the database at gmail.com. That's the data than base, B E I S at gmail.com. Until next time, have an absolutely wonderful Shabbos Mavarachim, and thank you for joining us here at the database.